0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of OP Radio. I'm your host, Mac. This is a a weekly Twitter space slash podcast. We hold every week, every Wednesday about anything and everything in the optimism ecosystem. Got a very interesting guest here today who's going to speak on a very interesting topic. We're joined by the mysterious Mark Tineway. Good morning, Mark. Good
1: morning, Mac. Thanks for having me back on you.
0: Absolute pleasure. Uh, Always a pleasure to have you on, Mark. And um, I'm super excited to talk with you about today's topic. Um, So let's just get right into it. So you recently attended um, an interesting gathering, um, something called Zuzalu. Uh, People may have heard about this, but um, can you just give us like a top-level overview, Mark? What is this Zuzalu thing that you went to?
1: Yeah, totally. So Zuzalu is, it was an experiment. And Basically, the idea is that, you know, the way that we organize ourselves in society today, it's just like really not serving everyone. Like, a lot of people are like really unhappy. Depression rates are, you know, at an all time high. There's like a lot of people just aren't satisfied with the way that society is organized. So, Zuzalu is like an experiment in organizing people. And the idea is that if you kind of think about events, there's like a lot of events that are just a day or two or like maybe like a week long. And then there's like, you know, events or like gatherings that kind of last like indefinitely, but there's not a lot of events that kind of last in this like intermediate range of like within like a few months. So it's kind of like an experiment in seeing like, what does a gathering of people look like where you get together for a few months and you're able to like spend more time with each other rather than just like, say, getting together for like a week?
0: Very cool. Very interesting. I don't want to dwell on it too much because pure optimism, we like to dwell on the on the positive, not the negative. But yeah, I totally agree with you, Mark. There's a, I mean, there's a loneliness epidemic, I think people are more atomized than ever and a huge part of that i think is this dearth of community i think people are lacking community in the modern era a lot of people are and so it sounds like this is an opportunity for a a bunch of like minds to get together and yeah foster that sense of community
1: yeah it's really interesting because one of my main takeaways from zuzalu is really like it got me thinking like what even is community and Like, is it possible to think of community from first principles? And what I mean by that is, like, are our preconceived notions of what is possible in community building just, like, you know, kind of outdated? Can we create a new sense of community that, like, we haven't even, like, imagined before as, like, a civilization or, like, as a species?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, why not? I mean, if you think about what what do most people kind of get together and do nowadays, I mean, people do all kinds of things, but I think we could definitely take a, a more creative approach to to how we get together and organize.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think that, you know, blockchain technology plays a really important role in all of this because, you know, one of the, you know, main benefits of of blockchain technology is like this concept of credible commitments right? Where people that are coordinating can credibly commit to doing something and you don't need to like worry about them backing out of the commitment. And you can kind of make like arbitrarily complex commitments very cheaply. Um, Whereas like without a blockchain, you'd have to like, you know, find like a lawyer to like write up a contract and then You know, pay that lawyer. And then actually, if your counterparty doesn't follow through, you'd have to like go through a legal process. Just takes like a lot of time and money. And so, like, there's no real reason to like do this kind of without blockchains. So, I think that this kind of concept of credible commitments with social coordination is a fundamentally new primitive that we have yet to explore deeply with blockchain technology and communities.
0: Mark, so was, was this used at Zuzalu? Maybe you could provide like a specific example of like a, a commitment.
1: Oh, yeah. Good question. So I'm not going to lie. This was like not heavily used at Zuzalu because it's just so early. Like I, I feel like this is going to be a narrative for blockchains probably within a couple of years, hopefully. But an example of a credible commitment is it's actually the side project that I've been working on. It's called PACT. And the idea is it is this mutual assurance contract system. And basically it's like, think of like Kickstarter for everyday things. And the idea is that if you want to like coordinate with someone, you can credibly commit to doing something, right? And in this example, the credible commitment is like kind of staking a little bit of ETH on you know doing something. So, let's say that we wanted to go out to dinner, and we wanted to go out to dinner on Friday. But you know everyone's calendars are like busy. You never know if like someone is in a flake. So what you can what what I would be able to do is I'd be able to put down like you know I'm going to put down you know like five hundred guay. I'm going to put that down and say I'm going to you know I'm committing to going out to dinner on Friday. And then you can show that to all of your friends. And then your friends can be like, oh, like this person is serious about going out to dinner on Friday. Like, you know, I'll put down, you know, 500 guay as well. And then the more people that kind of put down the money, it increases the signal. It increases the likelihood that it's a truthy, you know, statement that it's everyone is committed to doing this thing. So then it makes it easier for the next person to commit. And then you can kind of have different rules around the resolution. In this case, you'd probably want everyone to get their money back or you'd want the money to like be pulled together and then used to pay for the dinner.
0: Very interesting. Okay, so people are basically putting skin in the game um, to follow through on things that they say they're going to do.
1: Yeah, this is one example of a credible commitment scheme. And this is just like a side project that I've been working on. The smart contracts are all you know, free software, open source, you can find them on my GitHub, you know, github.com slash tines slash packed, I believe. So yeah, if you're interested, they're already deployed on, you know, a bunch of different networks, the you can use them through etherscan. I mean, I don't really recommend using them, to be honest, but check out the code if you're interested. But this is one example of like a, human coordination application built using credible commitments that I think that like this style of application will be the kind of really popular blockchain applications that get get end up um, being used by everyday people in the future.
0: Yeah, well, I can definitely I think a lot of people can relate to maybe they're trying to organize something and a third party says that they're going to do it, but then doesn't end up following through. I think I think we're all quite familiar with that uh, small disappointment, right?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, because like right now, it's kind of hard to tell, especially when you don't know someone very well, right? Because when you get to know someone, then basically you kind of, reputation is kind of like these social tokens, right? Social tokens were like this like, Meme thing that we're popular for a little bit but we kind of all have like in our heads we we hold a ledger of like social tokens of other people right and like that's kind of like a reputation system and you can't really like learn about other people's reputation until you interact with them or someone tells you about them right so this kind of system would make it easier to like trust people that you don't know that well and it would reduce the cost of coordinating with them.
0: Okay, this is this is absolutely fascinating because you know we know that it takes a while to really get to know someone and to and to trust them. So this could potentially be this this on-chain ledger that demonstrates that someone uh, basically keeps their word that could allow you to to trust them to bring to bring them inside your circle of trust a lot quicker.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then the idea is that this, I, I see this kind of simple example of like PACT, this mutual assurance contract is kind of just being like the first baby step. And then basically you could imagine that there could be this like network of credible commitments for different things between different people that kind of become arbitrarily complex and you're all like automated and encoded on chain. And this network would like reduce the cost of coordination between people. And it would kind of offset all of the mental overhead of having to like judge whether or not you should like decide to like work with someone. And it would it, then like you can kind of just like get like automated suggestions of like whether or not you should like work with someone, do something, go someplace with someone because like the history of technology is all about kind of offloading mental overhead to like automation and the machines so i think that this is going to allow us to kind of offload a lot of the need to like make social judgments about whether or not you should coordinate with people
0: okay so i have i have an an odd edge case here mark maybe an oddly specific one but i'm curious so let's say that someone makes a commitment right but then we all know that that life happens so for some reason there's like a valid reason that they cannot fulfill that commitment what is the what is the solution there right cuz that depending on the circumstance that shouldn't necessarily count against them right that shouldn't be a a bad mark on this social public ledger
1: yeah totally i mean obviously like this is this is people and we don't want to like Make everything like super systematized and like have very particular scores, and you know de-anonymize people. This there needs to be like a flexible kind of system that works for the people and not against the people. So, it we would just need to make sure like one of the key tenets of kind of building blockchain systems is allowing exit, right? If the system exists in a way where it's not you know, taking into account the human nature of sometimes plans change, then someone else should be able to come up and build a competing system that does take into account that. And then if it's solving a real need that the people want, all the people should be able to migrate to it and exit the old system. So assuming that there's no monopoly, that there's no walled garden, and there's an efficient market, then that problem shouldn't exist. But you know, walled gardens exist. It's our job to prevent walled gardens.
0: Yeah. Wow, I didn't I didn't realize we were gonna go down this rabbit hole, Mark, but that's super interesting. I didn't realize you were working on solving accountability. (laughs) Fascinating problem. So Mark, I think I'd like to move on to Zuzdalu now and talk about the specifics there. For the people that weren't able to attend, I wonder if you could just sort of paint us a picture of what your time was like there. Like, what did you do on a day-to-day basis?
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, Zuzalo was a really interesting time. It was kind of like this gathering of people. Different people stayed for different amounts of time, but there was kind of a focus on cryptocurrencies, longevity, biotech, AI, and People with different interests; these different interests kind of all got together and kind of just lived together for three months, and it was it was amazing. Every morning, just waking up and walking down to get breakfast, we kind of stayed in this like little village where it was easy to basically walk to everyone's house. Like I think that is like one amazing thing because a lot of uh, cities especially in the United States are kind of designed around cars and in a car first kind of place, it's, it's really difficult to kind of get to other places in the city. Like the roads are the priority and it leads to like, you know, more noise, more pollution in the city, you know, so like living someplace where walking is like the kind of, priority and being able to walk everywhere that was just like really refreshing and so every day everyone would just like basically walk down to breakfast and you never knew like what sort of conversation you would have every single day it was like a different conversation that was super interesting because so many people there were just like passionate about life and they were passionate about what they were into And the environment really kind of cultivated that passion because it was so easy to find people that were interested in hearing what you were talking about. So I felt like there was this fulfillment, this social fulfillment, that it was just so much more convenient to be fulfilled socially than in kind of living in everyday life outside of Zuzalu. And then, you know, on the topic of breakfast, one of the kind of tenets was living healthily, right? And I don't know if y'all are familiar with biology and his whole like network state thing, but like he talks about this idea of like a moral innovation and it's kind of like an abstract term. I didn't really understand what a moral innovation really meant, until I was at Zuzalu and I experienced this moral innovation of health. A lot of people at Zuzalu were like really focused on just like living healthily. And the idea was that the more people that are all together focused on living healthily, it reduces the overall cost to living healthily. It reduces the cost of sourcing and preparing the food because you can buy in bulk it reduces kind of the social cost because sometimes like you don't want to go to the gym because you don't want to miss out on socializing well if you're with a group of people that want to socialize at the gym then you know you can get your socializing in and you can get your gym time in so there's this economy of scale when it comes to um, culture, and habits. So the moral innovation at Zuzalu was living healthily.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned habits, Mark, because this sounds like something I've learned about habits, which is that you want to you wanna make it as easy as possible for yourself to do that habit, right? So if, you're, if you want to learn the guitar, for instance, you should place that guitar in a prominent point in your living room. Make sure it's somewhere you're going to see it every day. And that's going to make it that much more likely that you're going to pick up that guitar and practice it. So in this situation, it sounds like you were surrounded by all these people that were living a healthy lifestyle, interested in health. And that just made it so much more easy for each individual to practice a healthy lifestyle.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Because sometimes it's hard when you're just like by yourself and you kind of have to just, you know, go down this path and you don't have anyone to like, experience it with you. Like a lot of people just like give up, including myself, when you don't have other people like going down this path with you. So, and it really got me thinking about, you know, how to cultivate habits. And like, like you said, Mac, it's really important to make the habits convenient, right? Like whatever you want to do, it should be like as convenient as possible. And then it got me thinking, you know, how do you design habits from first principles? Like, if we have like kind of like a blank slate, how would you set up your living environment to ensure that it's really easy to do the most important habits for you?
0: Yeah, having having those things in place, for instance, you know, like having fresh fruit available in your kitchen instead of a bunch of snacks filled with sugars and uh, stuff is absolutely crucial. So I've I found this in my own life that really putting these things in place beforehand so that I don't have to think about them when I when I undertake that habit is very important and a, and a huge life hack. And I'm constantly relearning that lesson, by the way, because sometimes, you know, I won't go through the work of buying the, the healthy food that I have, that I should have in my kitchen. And at the last minute, I get hungry and I go out and I eat something that I probably shouldn't have. Because I wasn't prepared and I, I didn't thoughtfully design my environment to make it easier for me to practice that good habit.
1: Totally, exactly, and yeah, like like Brian Johnson says, never to make decisions like late at night or like when you're really hungry because you know you'll you know go for that like junk food or whatever. But
0: yeah, you, yeah, I, my my version is never grocery shop hungry. Yeah, That's exactly.
1: But I think like you just illustrated the example that I was kind of getting at was when it's just you, you know, it's easier to fail because, you know, now it's your sole responsibility to make sure that you're in this environment and that, that makes the good habits convenient. But when you're with, you know, a group of people, then, you know, a little bit of that responsibility can get offloaded to everyone in the group and you can kind of scale those good habits together.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Typ- a typical American that I am, I approach things uh, from this, you know, individualistic perspective. You know, I, I, w- I wanted to mention, Mark, when you brought up this this town and how everybody's kind of well, they're in closer proximity to one another. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to reflect on how cultures their their modes of transportation may reflect their culture, and as you mentioned, America is a very it's it's a car country, right? Now, does that is that just reflecting this individualistic American spirit, or is it creating it? I think it's probably both. I I think it's probably a a feedback loop. I think you're right. I think if you surround yourself with people who are practicing these good habits, you're just going to make it that much more easier for yourself. Like you don't you don't need to do everything on your own. Uh, That would seem to be playing the game on hard mode.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think one thing that you know living at Zuzalu kind of showed me was that like all of this is possible and like all of it is just a choice and like sure like living there's you know monetary kind of constraints but like it is possible to kind of rethink the way that you're living your life and basically like really like stack rank the kind of habits and The way that you want to live and rethink the way that you want to relate to people and like the people that you want to relate with. And that's what Zuzalu made me completely rethink. And at this point, I'm trying to, you know, experiment more and basically figure out, you know, what does it mean to have the most ideal community? And what are the most important properties of a community that i would feel best in
0: yeah i think i think the blessing and curse of modernity is optionality right so we have an unprecedented amount of of choices and options in front of us which is incredible right that's empowering but it's on us to make the right choices i think maybe historically a, a lot of cultures and societies you, you wouldn't have this degree of choice, but you maybe had this this structure passed on to you, right? Through your culture, through your family. Now, a lot of that has fallen away, right? And so I think it's on all of us to create these communities for ourselves. So that's that's a very exciting prospect, right? But it's also a little bit daunting.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, we have like this paradox of choice and You're right, it is like a lot of effort to create these communities. And that's why I think it's really important to basically commoditize and open source the process of being able to create like a Zuzalu-like environment. Like, you know, we normally talk about open source in, you know, terms of software, but I believe that like process can also be open sourced. And, you know, like, like the process of say, organizing people also you can open source like i mean in the long term we should really have you know the open source ability to like you know create food we should have like basically the open source ability to like create shelter basically everything that everyone needs to gather and like live together in a place should be commoditized so the cost is pushed down as low as possible so it's really easy for people to, like, come together and gather and create, like, a, a Zuzalu-like experience if they desire.
0: Yeah, it almost reminds me, I've been reading a lot of sci-fi lately. And, you know, a lot of times when you have these human tetraformers who go out into the universe, right, a lot of times they carry with them the blueprints of human society in the form of information, whether that be DNA, so they can maybe reconstitute the animals and plant life that, that are on Earth. Or in the form of information so that they can you know 3D print or, or fabricate their own make ready environment on whatever planet they happen to land on. So yeah, this is this is very interesting if we're you know cataloging and and making open source the blueprint, in effect, for how to recreate these communities. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and one of the ideas that um, people are talking about as Zuzalu was basically that. Zuzalu should be forkable, right? Like who is like in control of like the Zuzalu IP, right? Like right now it's kind of early. So like there's like a group of kind of organizers and there's, you know, it's kind of difficult to like scale it to the world. But the idea is that eventually, you know, there should be many Zuzalus and there should be, you know, at least one Zuzalu running it every time so that digital nomads can basically you know, move between them all around the world. And then, you know, different Zuzalos will have different preferences and different moral innovations. And then, you know, people should be able to like go to the ones that appeal to them the most and easily be able to like enter and exit. And all this is only possible if we kind of commoditize the, the process of, and push down the cost of creating a Zalu-like event.
0: Interesting. Some of what you just said, Mark, makes me think that maybe I've been approaching this concept of the network state with with some of these old ideas and old conceptions. When I think about the network state, it's often I'm like, well, it needs to have a permanent physical space. But when, when you were kind of describing this just now, I thought, well, maybe that's not necessarily the case. Maybe this could be, you know, it's it's almost like a it's like a pop up community that occurs, and it sort of you know, moves around the globe.
1: Yeah, totally. I think that, you know, there's kind of this idea that like, there's a strict definition of network state, you know, biology tries to define it. I think that we shouldn't allow for like, there to be like a singular definition. It's more of like this design space, right? There's, I think that there's going to be like many different types of network states, ones that are physically permanent, ones that are physically permanent and like pop up from place to place, ones that are digital, like kind of in the, you know, metaverse. So yeah, and I I think that they'll be very different in kind of what their beliefs are and kind of what ties the people together that, you know, spend their time there.
0: Yeah. I wonder, Mark, and this is quite a broad question, but I wonder for people listening, like, what, how do you think they could get started if they wanted to, I don't know, find a community like this? It doesn't necessarily need to be Zuzalu, but if they wanted to find something similar, any thoughts there on on where a good place to start would be?
1: Yeah, totally. I think right now, really, the internet is like the best place. I mean, it's the cheapest place to access, like many people um, have internet access, and once you once you have the internet, then you can kind of communicate with people from all around the world at the speed of light. So definitely like the, the place to start is to find like-minded people on the internet, whether it's Twitter or Discord or Telegram. Those are probably the places with, you know, highest signal to like find, you know, like-minded people. And then you kind of have to build a community. It's like a lot of people make Discord servers and they just like hang out and chat all day. And then kind of once you have that, you know, kind of rapport in your community, then it becomes possible to like gather in person, right? And I think that there's like, you know, a lot of a lot of times like gatherings will just be, you know, everyone will just show up in the same location. But what Zuzalu made me rethink was kind of the amount of intention in. You know, setting up like the ground rules for a gathering. And what I mean by that is you could, you know invite a bunch of people together and you can create some like rules of what is this time go- meant to be like when we are together. An example of this would be, you know, if we are going to go down like kind of like the fitness path because it's like one of the things that people focus on at Zuzalu was w- an example would be, okay, we're going to rent an Airbnb or, you know, a hotel, a couple hotel rooms or something. And we're going to spend a month together and in this location. And we're going to put down, you know, 0.1 ETH. And we're going to put it into this pool. And if we're going to, there's going to be a scheduled morning workout every single day. And If you attend, you know, more than 50% of the scheduled workouts, then you get your money back. Otherwise, the pooled money, you know, gets sent to the people that did do the workouts split evenly or it's sent to like fund the, you know, stay or something like that. So you kind of can build these like games, these like incentive games, like kind of into the gathering itself.
0: Mark, I'm, I'm picking up a recurring theme here, which is that this metaphor of, you know, it's basically like hacking the human mind, right? So with this stuff we've talked about with commitments, with surrounding yourself with people who you want to emulate, these are all ways to sort of circumvent or, or, or program ourselves in a good way, right? Because I think we're, we're all being programmed to one degree or another. We just want to make sure that that, that programming's positive if possible.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean. Yeah, I think like one question is, is like, are you being programmed or are you programming? But yeah, I mean, I think that this kind of is, this ties into like the credible commitments kind of thing. And, you know, this is a little bit of a side tangent, but this reminds me of like our kind of relationship with the blockchain, right? The blockchain is out there and because everything is incentives even before the blockchain right like the whole economy the way that society is structured is to like give people the incentives to like do the things to like keep society going right so in capitalism capitalism is designed to have like this little carrot that there's like a carrot dangling in front of us and like you know If we could only, like, get more money, we'll be able to, like, do the thing and have, like, higher social status. And, you know, so there's, like, this carrot dangling in front of us, like, keeping us moving forward. And basically, the blockchain is actually really interesting because it kind of, like, closes the loops on this process. It tightens the loops, the feedback loops. And... Basically, a thought experiment is kind of like thinking about the blockchain as like an organism, right? The blockchain is like this living organism that is trying to like survive and it's trying to grow. And what what tools does the blockchain have at its disposal to like grow itself, right? So the blockchain, basically, if it's an organism that wants to like grow, then it will want to it'll want to like recruit people to work for it right and it'll basically want to like convince people to be like aligned with it the blockchain so like you know it'll it'll want the people to like have their livelihoods depend on the livelihood of the blockchain and so in, in a way it's kind of like infecting the minds of the people Right. And it's, it's getting the, the people to like work for the blockchain.
0: And so yeah, it's this recruiting, kind of, them, recruiting them to its service.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So it's this kind of like, you know, social techno capital machine that is building these feedback loops and getting people to be aligned with it so it can grow. Yeah. It's a little bit of a side. It's like a thought experiment.
0: No, oh, but that is, I, I love that metaphor. That is super interesting. Yeah, we're we're all kind of in a sense being programmed by the blockchain so it can grow and expand. Yeah, that's, that's a lot to wrap my mind around, but that that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, and that that it does it begs my question, you know, are you being programmed or are you being or, or are you programming? But you know, I don't know, maybe like free will is like a rabbit hole that we don't need to go down into today. But yeah, maybe we can go back to like talking about Zuzalu and
0: okay so what what did what did some of these um healthy activities at zuzalo look like i'm curious mark i heard there was maybe some cold exposure were you guys doing like some group workouts together
1: yeah great question so in the mornings there's like this ritual of going on a going to a cold plunge and i think that there's like maybe like a bankless episode that might go into this a little bit but Basically, every morning, you know, people would wake up and, you know, go out into the ocean and, you know, jump into the water. And, like, they it would basically be like this, like, cold plunge early in the morning. And there is a bunch of longevity people and biology people there. And, you know, you'd get into the water and they'd be telling you, like, you know... Oh these are kind of this is the biology. this is what's happening. you know, this is the information about the studies that have been done. So you kind of be able to distract yourself from all the pain of being in the cold with all of this like information about like why it's good for you. And so like that that i I learned a lot and it kind of helped me, you know, progressively get better at doing the cold plunge and being able to like go in and there'd be it'd be like a group of like you know, maybe like, 20 plus people all going into the water at the same time and it's just like really hard to find that kind of community in the in the day-to-day world because you know who has time in the morning to like wake up and you know drive however far it it is to like go see your friends and all meet up someplace where you can do a cold plunge So Zuzalo is really special in making it so convenient to be able to cold plunge like first thing in the morning like that. I love that.
0: And I am an absolutely huge fan of cold plunges. It's it's actually become a problem because um, I often find myself in a place where, like you said, it's very difficult to find. And I really miss it. Um, I really I really like having access to (laughs) to this simple thing that sometimes actually is hard to get together, which is, you know, really cold water in a tub. I know exactly what you're talking about, Mark, with sometimes I've plunged with people and they know all the physiological effects. You know, they're like Huberman, they'll, they'll tell you, you know, what this is doing to your body. I take the more, I don't know if you're familiar with Laird Hamilton. He's a famous big wave surfer, but I like his description of cold plunging, which is like, you know, people ask him why he does it. And he says, because I feel good after. And that's basically how I approach cold plunging is, I don't know about the physical benefits, but I have definitely noticed the, the mental benefits. I feel extremely calm and clear. I think it's funny how everybody approaches that, that challenge, right? Because it is discomfort in a different way. I think a lot of people get in their head and they, and they want to know that it's, it's doing something good. But my experience has been to just just breathe through it and be present in the moment.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The breathing is, is key. Cause then after enough time passes, like the kind of discomfort starts to go away. And then you're kind of just in this like almost numb state of like being in the, in the water, euphoria, euphoria.
0: Yeah. I like it. But okay. Then, and then, you know, Mark, I got to ask you, cause I'm, cause you know, I'm into my fitness. What kind of, were, we, were you guys doing workouts together? What did that look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, people are doing like all sorts of different types of workouts. There are people that were running. There was like a lot of hiking there were gyms. So, like, people were like, you know, lifting at the gym every day. There were like different activities that different people were holding, whether it's like some sort of like a yoga or movement. There's even like just like really obscure kind of things, like, um, I'm, I'm forgetting the word, like, there was like a climbing. All, all sorts of different activities that people were doing. And it was all like, everyone would just like kind of self organized Like there was this calendar and basically if you had a ZK passport. So the idea is that, you know, like products, right. There's not a lot of like consumer facing crypto products that are like, you know, that people love. And Zuzalo is like a, a, a testing ground for this, amazing application made by Xerox Park, where basically it's like a a, a ZK Passport and it's built on using this like semaphore technology, which it basically lets you, you have like a, a key pair, right? And then you can create a inclusion proof into a set without revealing your identity. And what this basically allows you to do is this allows you to anonymously add events to a calendar. That was like one application of this. And the idea was people wanted to be able to like we we need to like desperately test out and use applications using you know blockchain technology and you know using ZK technology. And so this was a great place to, to test this out. And so this ZK passport, if anybody wanted to add a event to the calendar, you would have to, you know, log into the website and then you could create a proof using your key pair and put an event on the calendar. And it was like permissionless to do so as long as you could provide a proof that you were a Zuzalu resident. And so what this allowed for was like a lot of spontaneity. Everybody was able to basically add events. They would just like come up with an idea like, oh, like I want to do a yoga class later today. Um, I want to teach it. So I'm going to just, you know, add it to the calendar. And then there was a hyperlink that you could like use to import the calendar, say like into your, you know, GCal or your Apple calendar or whatever. And then as people updated the calendar, it would automatically push out updates to people's phones. So you can just look at your calendar on your phone and you can see all of the events that are going
0: on every day. Why the Why the emphasis on anonymity there, Mark? It seems like an intentional design decision.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. To be honest, I'm not really sure. I, I'm not sure if it's like the anonymity is like particularly important in this like use case, but I think it was more of, a, of uh, the, the importance here is around, you know, inclusion in the set. So there's like a set of Zuzalu residents. And basically, as long as you can provide a proof that you're in the set, I do believe in practice, I did show who the organizer was. But technically the way that this semaphore works is like you don't necessarily need to like reveal, you know, who created the proof. But really what this was all about was getting this technology in the hands of people. Because one of the problems that we have in this industry is like, what is product market fit for like consumer-facing applications? You know, like how many founders are like on the ground you know, going to everyday people and asking them to like try out their applications, right? We're like, at least maybe I am just like not in the right crowd, but, you know, I work on more the infrastructure side. Um, I'm not super familiar with like people, you know, building a lot of, you know, consumer facing applications where they're actively like, you know, working on the UX. A lot of the applications are kind of like DeFi or, you know, NFTs and they're very financial focused. They're less focused on like coordination and identity, which those are the things that are interesting to me. And I think will be what makes this technology actually useful in the real world.
0: But it has to be easy to use right at the end of the day. Um, To bring it back to your point of these things need to be tested, the UX needs to be vastly improved.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, having like a group of people together that are all kind of crypto native is a really good opportunity to basically get that feedback. And because one fallacy that I think or like a hot take that I have is I don't think that we should be building applications to bring net new people into the ecosystem. We should be building applications that target crypto native people that basically we we need an application that crypto native people love to use every single day and they cannot use without or they cannot live without the only application that i'm aware of that that is this is telegram to be honest like crypto native people love telegram they talk on it even though it's like not encrypted it's like fake encrypted a lot of people think that it is encrypted but it's not you know it's that is like the the killer app right now for crypto native people, but it's like not really even built using blockchains unless you count like the like telegram chain ton. But like if you're in the United States, you're not allowed to use it. You know, there's a history there go read about it on the internet, but like we need to build consumer facing applications that crypto native people love and cannot live without. And gatherings in person are a great place to test out these applications
0: okay to play devil's advocate here mark because i think this is interesting to push back a little i think crypto native people are are willing to put up with a lot worse ux and kind of jump through a lot of hoops to do this stuff that the normal person just isn't willing or able to do so are they really the best market to test these applications on um there, we're kind of a strange bunch. I think we, we you know we're, we're much more technologically savvy and, and maybe willing to put up with a lot more than the normal person would. Oh,
1: definitely. We are a strange bunch, and I would not have it any other way. But you are right that you know we would be willing to like put up with the the difficulties and the bad UX and the dangers of like losing your private key. But the, the reality is that um, as an industry, we're still at this point where, you know, all of these things are, you know, part of the UX and it's going to take a long time to get to a point where the UX is good enough for someone that has, you know, no idea what a blockchain is before they can use it, right? Like to use a blockchain, you still have to, you know, understand a block explorer. You still have to like kind of know what gas is you kind of have to know like what like ether is you know people that use the internet like they don't know what you know tcp ip is they don't know like what these underlying protocols are we're still so early that we don't have the right abstractions for people to understand how to use this technology and because of that it's really up to the people that do understand these abstractions to you know use the technology and then it'll accelerate, you know, the applications and it'll accelerate the usage, which will create this like cycle where like then, you know, the usage goes up, you know, more problems are being solved for people in the real world, even though it's like a small niche of people, then, you know, more funding comes in and then, you know, people can then, you know, build better abstractions over time. And then, you know, pull more non-crypto natives in and then iterate towards this world where it's really easy and it's actually more convenient to use the crypto version of the application than the non-crypto version of the application.
0: Yeah, okay. I, I, I see what you're saying. We're, we're in, a, in essence, the, the guinea pigs, the test subjects for this. If that makes sense. Yeah, I guess I, I just, I think, you know, you can make the argument that the UX is the product you know, like one click checkout, like that is a product. And so I don't know if we're going to be able to to scale and and, and get beyond this industry without, without vastly improving this UX.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. I think that key management is probably the biggest thing that's holding back the industry right now. And there's like a lot of hype around, you know, smart contract wallets, ERC 4337, you know, kind of solving this. I'm really curious to see how it all plays out I'm hopeful that additional iterations of kind of smart contracts wallets on top of, you know, past ERC 4337, you know, gaining more mainstream adoption. I think that we'll learn a lot kind of from this iteration. I think that we'll need to, like, continue to, to, to build and make it easier for it to be, like, truly usable by end users.
0: Well, Mark, I want to be cognizant of your time. I know you've you've got another commitment here today. This has absolutely delivered. I almost feel guilty for how fun and interesting this conversation has been. We've really spanned a bunch of topics from cold plunging to account abstraction, real world use cases in crypto. So thanks, Mark, for joining us on OP Radio. It's always a pleasure. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.
1: Awesome. Thank you. And yeah, I appreciate all of y'all listening. And don't forget about Ether's
0: Phoenix. Stay optimistic, y'all. We'll see you next week.